Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. In this episode, we talk with director Peter Mackey Burns. His film Rialto stars Tom Von Lawler as a married man grieving the death of his father and repeating similar mistakes with his own son. Rialto was released across Irish cinemas on October the 2nd and in Dublin from October the 10th once cinemas reopen. Hello, Peter. Thank you for chatting with us. Hi there. I'm very interested in how the production started and how films kind of get funded a little bit and their life at the beginning is particularly interesting for me because I know that's if I'm at like a film Q&A event, there's always people are like, yeah, but how do you get the money? <laughs> and, yes. and then how do you get that across? <laughs> how do you sell the film? Because I think as a director. You yeah. just... I probably came in later on the process of this film than I did on my first film because I generated the script for the first film, but I didn't generate the script for this. So I wasn't on this one from its inception as as a project, you know. It was a co-pro between um, Alan Maher and and John Wallace, Cowtown, as they're called now, and the Bureau, who I work with in London. So because it was a co-pro, the stuff was already set up. My involvement with the project, Gemma, was um, I'd made a film called Daphne with the Bureau and Tristan Golliger, one of the producers at the Bureau, took me aside one day and said, listen, we have a a project uh, with a script by Marco Halloran. Do you know who he is? I said, yeah, of course. You know, I, I, I knew his films and his little bit of TV work too. So I said, yeah, I'd love to read it. So I read the script and I really enjoyed it. And I went over to Galway and I met Mark and Alan Maher and um, John I met a little bit later. And we had uh, dinner in Galway and we just had a chat about the project. And I was lucky, lucky, you know, they were seeing other directors too. And I was lucky that uh, they selected me to get involved in the project. So I think I think it was about the second draft stage, and we worked on another draft and revisions. I think so. For me, being on the project to shooting, uh, I think it was probably about six to nine months. I was involved with the project before we were greenlit and and shooting. And when you're doing another draft, or when you're kind of involved at that stage. What part as a director do you like to maybe go mm, question, like, or not question the writing? Like, Mark is, we all know he's fabulous. Like, I've been following his work for years, and Viva was just amazing. Like, a, just such a beautiful film. But when do you kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get a highlighter and I'm going to maybe go, what's he thinking here? Or can we rejig this because I have a vision for it? Like, is, is that the type of stuff that you'd come in on? Or, I think sometimes, I think it's different from project to project, you know. But with this script, we thought a few things could have been made a little bit perhaps clearer for the audience um, in some stages. And I can't remember the exact details, but basically the producers, uh, myself and Mark, would do a little bit of script development work with Mark, you know and chat about maybe reshape things or change a few things. So we, we had a little go at doing that, but there wasn't much to do. I would say 95% of the, the, the work was 
was there. And then when it, when it comes to pre-production, we had to change a couple of things just because of the availability of locations. For example, we had to combine a couple of things or change the, the setting of one of the scenes because we found a location that would work in and we couldn't get another one that we wanted. Just that sort of practical stuff, really. You know, the practical stuff of scouting really throws things into relief pretty sharply. You know, um, we'd like that. They won't let us film there. So how do we come up with a solution based on, you know, the locations that we have managed to secure? So just the normal type of um, development stuff, you know? So you have Tom and Tom, the two leads. How did you get cast in them? Yeah, um, well, I knew Tom Von Lawler from Daphne. And he, he, he's in it, and we worked together on that movie. He had a smaller part in Daphne. I thought, you know, he's terrific. So I'll see if I can find something to work on. And then when Rialto came along, or Rialto, should I say, came along, then I thought, oh, that's interesting. Could Tom age up a little bit? Because if you see Tom or know him, you know, he's um, nothing like the character. You know, and physically not very like him either. A non-smoking, non-drinking, fit as a flea <laughs> type. So I thought he was terrific and I, and I asked him, actually I met him in Galway, funnily enough, with his dad. And I got chat. I said, listen, I, I might be doing this project. Might you be interested in it if, if it comes off? And he said yes. And then we were, we were all set up really. Um, with Tom Glenn Carney, I didn't know him. Um, Amy Rowan, the brilliant casting director from Dublin. She found him and sent him in. And Tristan Golliger had seen him in Sam Mendes' play uh, in the West End. And I'd seen him, although I didn't know, in Dunkirk. Um, he does his scene, plays a character called Peter in that with Kelly Murphy and Mark Rylance. When he came in, you know, his audition was fantastic. And he came in in character with dyed blonde hair and street clothes and with, with his accent, you know, with the with his Dublin inner city north <laughs> accent. And he was terrific. And of course, I'm asking him where he's from and he's telling me he's from Salford. <laughs> but in his uh, dub accent, and I'm thinking, I've got the right guy here. <laughs> I'm looking through my book. Okay, right, he's in character. He's coming. And he was terrific, really good. But more importantly, I think all of the cast, you know, Amy done a brilliant, amazing job because... But one of the, the, the joys for me is to work with brilliant actors. And I've been so fortunate to date that in my projects, I've managed to get or attract really terrific actors. And when, when you work with people who are much better at their job, you know, uh, than I am at mine, it makes it a joy to watch them and learn from them, you know. I'd say they'd argue that, that they'd argue that point, definitely. Well, I, th I think that um, I was very lucky in a, in a way. Like I, my first or second short film I made after I graduated, uh, uh, I got Brenda Fricker in it. And she came over to Glasgow for three days. And she did a short film uh, I made called Milk, which is probably online if people are interested in that. And I learned more from working for three days with Brenda Fricker than I did when I was at film school or when I worked in the theatre, you know. I really absorbed a lot, which is 
get the best people you can, get out the way, let them do the work. And for me, filmmaking is really a collaborative process. And I'm really fortunate that some people I've worked with are willing to come back again. And that's really good fun. To, to, well, for me, it's good fun for them. I couldn't comment. But for me, it's really good fun to work with them because all of the getting to know you period, we don't have to bother with that. <laughs> we just get into the work. But I, I was really lucky on Rialto that the cast, all of them, I mean, I got so many great people and they came to do the, the work, not because of me, but because they love the script. You know, and all the things they tell you at film school, you'll get, you can get people if they like the material. That's borne out for me, I have to say. You know, they come because of the quality of the, the writing. If they're going to come at all. And stop, I think that, that's, very, um, that's very modest of you, but I'd say they'd all beg to differ. But anyway, just like, I also think the quality of the writing is spectacular. Mark is phenomenal. Uh, like his stuff, again, I've just been following it. He just has a great way of, of getting kind of truth on a page. Yeah. Very honest, emotional truth. And just even his use of dialogue is so natural. Like you yeah. can hear the, 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 the phrases written in there. It's, it's what people would say. It's not hiding yeah. that kind of very obvious way, which is not always the case, especially if something is from the stage. Yes, that's true. I, did, I wasn't aware that the project had been a play until after I'd read it. You see, so when I read it, I was fascinated in the problem and some of the themes the script was discussing, you know. And I thought, well, that's the thing that attracted me to it. It was the quality of the writing too. So if the quality of the writing attracts people, then it doesn't mean to say that the film is going to work, but if you don't have a good foundation, if your script isn't great, then it's hard to make a great film, you know. And I think having good writing helps helps everyone, <laughs> you know, really does. So we, we were very fortunate because it attracted a really good cast and all of them, you know, I really enjoyed working with every one of them. They were great people and great collaborators, generous with their time, with their ideas. You know, it was wonderful. It was just wonderful to be around um, such a wonderful cast. And also, let's not forget the crew, you know, the crew were great too and they all came onto the project because of the quality of, of the script. And we'll just go to the shooting as well. It was a co-pro. So mm -hmm. it was a half Screen Ireland and half BFI or I actually yeah. check that, yeah. Yeah, um, not quite half, half but yeah. round about that. A lot of, of, of um, private investment from, from France, but it was a good project to do in that I brought some people from England, so some people I'd worked with on my first movie, and I thought it was really interesting. So I'd seen quite a lot of Irish films, and I, I, I knew a few Irish cast members, and it, it was great for me to work with the, the local uh, crew in Dublin and to bring over. So the DOP I brought over from England, Adam Scarth, and Adam and myself had worked on Daphne, and this is our second film together and I like working with him and similarly we have a, a method of working a shorthand because we've gone through as they say been through the the mire before and making a film we had a a way of working you know which saved time I think if you work with a DP a new one on every gig 
then you spend a bit of time getting used to them. And that can be great sometimes. Other times you want to work with someone that you know how the working relationship goes. And for me, I always try to work with people who can bring stuff to the table that I don't know. The old notion of every day being a school day certainly stands for me. I, I, um, I'm really keen to work with collaborators that bring stuff that I'd never dream of to the, the, the project. I was, I was very lucky. So I, a mixture of old and new. For me, coming to do a, a, a film in another country, you know, so it's all new when you go somewhere else to shoot. And only if, if I'd only made one film before, you know, so, so <laughs> something old, something new. How long was the shoot? I think it was five weeks. I think it was 25 days. So I think we'd weekends off, maybe apart from once, but I think we, yes, one week, one Saturday we had to work because that's the only day we could get access to the docks. So we could only get in there on one day. So everything in the docks was shot in a day. And what I like to try to do is I like to try to shoot in sequence as much as possible. So for example, but that's not always possible because of locations and cast availability. So all the stuff in the house, for example, would shoot that in chronological order. All the stuff in the docks would shoot chronological order. So if you could do the chronological order of location, it helps now if you've one actor, then you know one actor who's never seen. It helps. I like shooting chronologically because I think if the actor knows where he or she is psychologically, then I know too, and then the producers know. So we're all in this, and we and the editor knows, so we all know what we have. I find it very hard to go and shoot the end of the movie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the first week or something. But, uh, and, and I can totally imagine, even as a, an emotional point as a performer, it would be hard to ramp up those emotions from, you know, like, yeah, it makes, it makes more sense as well. I think it comes down to the individual actor too, though. You know, very experienced actors could probably do it. Um, but for me, if, if I can make this, the given circumstances for the actor to just respond in the moment, not to worry about what's happened or what happens at the end of the movie... You know, if you just get them to concentrate on the, the exact moment we're in, then I think that can help. And actors, are, how their brains work is extraordinary. You know, how they can map things is an extraordinary skill. They're like, um, I don't know, some sort of uh, whales or sharks or sea mammal, you know, with a sort of radar. Salmon, you know, Tom Von Lawler's very salmon-like. <laughs> <laughs> Swims upstream. Finds his way home, you know, at a certain time of the year. He'll like that, me comparing him to a salmon. Yeah, but it is like definitely, I'm sure it's in all the reviews. Salmon, salmon, salmon like Lola. Yeah, he does, he does bring this amazing um, subtlety and, and very interesting and, and kind of controlled choices that's very lovely to watch, especially in something like this and especially with his character in this. Yeah, he's a very special actor. I think what's really interesting is, you know, I, we sort of have a, an unspoken contract, don't we, between the camera and the performer, which, you know, for me is, I'm the first audience as the director, you know. So if they do the work, the camera will get it. So they don't have to show they're doing the work, which can happen sometimes with, with less experienced actors. Sometimes there's a, a more performative element 
but the camera's so, it's the actor's friend, you know, so if they do it, the camera will see it. It's their best friend, and I think young actors who get used to that and get comfortable with the camera soon realise, oh, I can do anything, I can think it, and they'll get it. You know, so it's a, it's a lovely medium working with. I prefer the camera to the, the theatre, and I trained in the theatre many years ago, and I always liked the idea that the camera could pick up everything. To similar mediums, but personally I prefer working in cinema to the theatre. Although I would love to direct Uncle Vanya. <laughs> I'm a big Chekhov fan. Actually, I wanted to ask about your work with the actors then. So would you, if, like, I suppose ideally you'd like, everyone would like loads of rehearsal time, but what would you realistically do work ahead of the thing, have chats with them about the script, get them all in a room? What would be your process? I think it's different in every film. Generally speaking, I tend not to rehearse. And that's not only a financial consideration. I, I'm sure I could get some rehearsal time, but I like to try to keep it fresh for the camera. So I do work with the individual actor. Normally, we talk about the character and we do research. So when they come to the set, the actors know the character. We both know the character and we both know the scenario that they're in. So I'd only do some on camera blocking rehearsal pretty quickly but the research stuff can take a bit more so Tom Lawler uh, Tom Glenn Carney myself and Mark we would meet and read through the script in London a few times and we spent a few days talking about the character and the, the journey and with Tom Glenn Carney he came over to Dublin and we went round the areas, we went round on foot where the character would live, the specific building, the specific flat, how far it would be to... So we'd map out the locations and the time between them. So when we walked round there on foot for a few days, we'd get a feeling for the character's journey. You know, like this is his girlfriend's house here, this is his apartment, this is how close it is, this is how far away the docks are from this, you know, all of those things. I think with actors, and actors work in many different ways. Some of them, just give me the lines, you know. For me, I don't have a prescriptive way of doing it. My way is to find out how does the actor like to do it? What can I do to give them a, a, an arena to make them feel comfortable and do their best work, really? I think Ken Loach said something, I'm sorry to paraphrase, phrase here or get it wrong but he said directing actors really is you don't and I'm paraphrasing uh, he said it's not really about directing the actors it's almost like a body of water you know moving across a plane and you shape you try to shape by creating things in this the given circumstances the moments where this flow will go so in a way I'm throwing sand. <laughs> I'm throwing sand in the actors' faces to try and make them go in one certain direction. So it's not about directing them, it's about directing the circumstances around them to let them do the best work. And of course, one actor has one approach, one actor has another. There's no, there's no one size fits all, I don't think. 
or if there is that, I haven't found it. Perhaps in the next project, if it's right to rehearse, then we'd rehearse, you know, but it's a, a suck it and see situation, I think, with the actors that you cast and with the project. It's very striking production design. Yeah. I- the, when it was set, I was... And then I was like, or is it just interesting production design? It's contemporary. So it was set in the week that we shot it. Okay. On the story week. That's when it's set. And what was interesting about that is, you know, um, well, Sarah Finlay is a great designer. She's done loads of movies and she's worked with the Bureau before. She did the, she did, it's the first time I've worked with her. She's terrific, very detailed. Um, she did Andrew Hayes' movies, um, 45 Years and um, Weekend, you know, and she's a um, terrific designer, very detailed. And I worked with her, and what we're particularly interested in doing is using the environments to tell the story. So I'm particularly interested in using colour and texture in, a, 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 in an expressionistic sense. So in, in a social realist type film, then I think it's interesting to have elements that work in an emotive way. So I like to use colour to do that. And if you shoot digitally in costume, having texture in costume really helps the look that we like to try to achieve. You know, so colour and texture for me is, I'm pretty obsessed by it, I have to say. In my personal life, it's something I'm particularly interested in. If I see a a movie that feels too designed, I tend to be less enamoured of it if I can see it. But if I can feel the design, if it feeds into what the story is, and I notice the design as the story, then for me, that's, that's something I hope to and probably will never achieve. Um, what, one of my favourite films for colour and texture and, and design is um, Wonk Howard Wise and the Mid for Love, which I think is 20 years old this week. I think they've been screening in New York. So that use of colour, the Hong Kong movie's use of colour, extraordinary, extraordinary. He's an artist, Wonk Howard. So I suppose working with Sarah, Sarah's very, normally quite interested in more muted and naturalistic tones. And I'm, I was pressing her to say, no, I'd like a really strong burst of colour here. And it was a great conversation. We painted one location. I said, right, I want this and this. And she said, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah. And she, she shrugged her shoulders. Okay, let's try it. And, and she um, designed a, a location. I went back to see it. And I went, Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> this will never work. It's too in your face. And she said, well, I, I thought it was a very bold choice. <laughs> she said, it was only when I put the camera on it, I, I saw it, you know. So sometimes what the colours look like in the, in, with the naked eye compared to how you're shooting them is different. So we had to sort of explain that with costume. And we had to say, well, the way we're, we're going to work this is that the colours in real life will look brighter than they will do when we when we cut this and when we put it together. So what might seem garish <laughs> to the eye in real life looks when it, you know after it's graded 
and in the format we're shooting in looks <laughs> a bit more muted. So it's a, it's a nice dance, I say, between the cinematographer and the designer in terms of the use of colour. I work with a, a Basque designer on Daphne, uh, Mirren Maranon, and she's terrific uh, at colour and texture. And it's something that really interested me. So to make a, 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 what looks on the surface like a social realist film, of course, as you know, those films are as constructed as any type of film. But the, the tropes of the social realist film is to have a muted palette. And I thought, well, we're blessed because um, it was very sunny when we were shooting. I think it had been the sunniest summer we had in Dublin for a while. And the colours popped for me, which I found really interesting. If I could move to, to uh, if I could mention the score just now, the score's another example for me of a tension between what we'd expect to hear in a social realist drama and what we'd expect to see in a more expressionistic film. So I like the tension of putting those elements together. So perhaps putting colours that we might normally not associate with the social realist shown with sound and image that can maybe change that. And if I look at your room behind you, as you see, it's very bright colours. The cities are very bright now. It's because of advertising, I think. One of, one of the reasons because of advertising. So and most, most people, you know, have a strong interest or have strong colour in their day-to-day -day experience, if not in their own apartments or houses, but outside in billboards and, you know, cafes and, you know, it's quite interesting. I, I'm at a certain age where I remember um, London and um, Glasgow being very dark, sooty cities before they were cleaned, you know? Actually, I thought they looked fantastic. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> it was living in film noir. But um, now cities can be pretty bright. You know, and I think, oh well, that's more socially realist than a than a, a brown and grey palette or, or palette, which we often associate with the, the style of filmmaking. Yeah, those tenement buildings in Glasgow are gorgeous. They're so beautiful, and all oh, their original fittings and the windows and their fixtures, like just across the board, and the, like I, the Victorian, the sandstone buildings. Yeah. yeah well, you know, it was interesting. Place is interesting to me. So when I was in Dublin, I, I tried to show a version of Dublin from the point of view of the people who live in it. And I think we mostly got that right. But it, it's nice to see a film, perhaps, of Dublin that doesn't have a Georgian Terrace in it, you know. It's like um, in London, it's nice to have a movie for me without the, the Millennium Wheel or Piccadilly Circus you know, or, or Tower Bridge, you know, because it's not most, most people who live in these places don't really experience those things. They either don't see them because they see them every day or they don't go there. <laughs> you know, in a, a big city, you tend not to, if you live in Southeast London, you tend not to be in the West End looking at the sites. It's part of your daily life, you know. Yeah, that's how you're in the suburbs the majority of the time and going to your local shop, which is just very, you know, it's just like your average centra wandering yeah. around, like, you know, moderate-sized housing estates. I think there's a cinematic representation of cities. I, I'm not so interested in that. 
I don't want, you know, there's been enough of them. I'd rather see, if you look at New York, I'd rather see a movie in, I don't know, Brooklyn or Queens or something, although Brooklyn's pretty cinematic now, it's used a lot. But I'd rather see a movie that shows me the city from someone who lives there's point of view than my view as a sort of cine um viewer, you know? So, so I quite like place or location to feed the, the narrative in a way that is maybe not picture postcard, unless of course that feeds the story. We were down in the Broadhawk for a day shooting, yeah. you know, and that was, um, it was pretty tough down there, you know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Did you get the guy uh, come up to you and go, I'm not getting out of this shot unless you give me some money. Did you get that? We've got that on screen a few yeah. times. <laughs> that was Tom Von Lawler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shooting in uh, crowded areas has its benefits. <laughs> has its challenges and opportunities uh, too, which is always, you know. I'm going to, I remember shooting once and a guy would ref- refuse to um, move away, of course unless he could play his guitar for us. So, of course, we had to do a take with him playing his guitar. And then he was very happy to leave and go and find some other guys, musicians, and bring them back, see if they could all get 20 quid each. We'll get to the edit. You were saying that you had a particularly long edit for this? Um, no, I think it, it depends. It feel, I said it was nine months. It feels a bit longer. I think that, that was including everything in the post. Yeah, I think we had 16 or 17 weeks, maybe. Yeah, and then a, a week doing post-sound, and we do our post-sound over in um, Stockholm, because the sound designer, Joachim Sundstrom, who's like a god, if there's any film people listening to this, check out Joachim Sundstrom. I think he's the, the best sound designer working in Britain today. It's extraordinary the amount of great films he's worked on. His work's extraordinary, you know, and the team he works with over in Stockholm are brilliant. So we went over there, for a week, and I think they were in Technicolor for a week, too. So I think all in all, I could be talking out my hat here. I think it was probably about 19 weeks all in. So I live in Glasgow, so I had to go to to London to do the post. So I was in London. It felt like I was away for about nine months. My kids will say, Dad, it was only two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Did much change? Did much change about your feeling towards the film in that time because it's it's a good old time and I think again sounds and things like that make such a difference my feeling towards well we were in Venice in 2019 so we were in the last edition of Venice and when lockdown came it knocked our release dates back and and the scheme of things it's only a film you know there was a global pandemic so you know, Very uh, disappointing now because it is the thing that you've been working towards for like years, literally uh, years, that you've put your blood, sweat and tears, yeah. thrown sand in actors' faces the entire time and then <laughs> <laughs> it does get stolen from you. I would, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I, I would personally be devastated. Uh, listen, in the scheme of things, it's important that everyone's healthy, you know, so egotistical as I am, I managed to put that aside for about five minutes. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, just, it's great that it's an audience are getting to see it now. 
the next edition of Venice came round and that made me feel, oh my goodness, March when we went into lockdown just feels like a, a lifetime ago. I'm just delighted now that if people want to see this, they can and they can actually go to the cinema to see it. Maybe not in Dublin for a, a week or two after the rest of Ireland, but... Yeah, so it's in cinemas now. Um, outside of Dublin and in Dublin we'll get to see it on the 10th of October God willing Lockdown willing Lockdown willing Yeah I'm delighted to see how people respond to the film particularly in Ireland and you know not being Irish coming over some, it's very important for me to try to get things right <laughs> you know, and I'm sure the the audiences in Ireland they'll know if something isn't right. You know, when you watch something, you get a, a little whiff of does this smell like life? You know, do we recognise this? You mind by telling me that uh, Tom Glenn Carney wasn't <laughs> an Irish? I didn't know that. He's from Salford. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I, I th- the young fella down the road. Yeah, his accent is superb. His performance is brilliant. I've said before, he reminds me of a young Albert Finney. And, well, he's from uh, Dublin. Uh, sorry, his, um, his folks are probably second or third generation Irish, just like anyone in Glasgow. <laughs> his parents are probably second or third generation. Um, so to come here, Monica Dolan, you know, her, her family are originally from Sords. Her parents were from Sords. So I think we got the brilliant Monica to come over because I think she wanted to come to Dublin, you know, and have a little look around. And, you know, she's terrific. Her accent's also quite wonderful. But, you know, great actors, so lucky. Eileen Walsh, extraordinary, you know. Uh, it, was, it was a really good experience for me as a director working on the movie. I... I don't know if I could say I enjoyed it because you're working and I don't know if you get to, but on the set, it's often, it's not cliche if you're doing a film with, with, you know, human themes and about failing and making mistakes and pent up desires and frustration and, uh, and all of those things that the, the film touches upon. The atmosphere on the set is pretty light and I think naturally that happens. <laughs> you can't tell how the film's going as a director. You just have to plow on, you know, until you get to the end and see what, what you've got. But working with the crew and everything was, was great. The atmosphere was very good. I was really impressed with the standard, you know, of, of the, the crew and everything involved. It was terrific. What has the response been? So it has been kind of screened a few times at festivals. The film has an audience and people respond to it in various ways. I mean, some people are a bit gobsmacked I, 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 when they see it. But I find it interesting that it's a film, what attracted me was it's a conversation about men dealing with the toxic environment that they find themselves in and trying to connect with each other to to try find a way. The real victim of that stuff are the wives, daughters, and children of men. So the societal pressure of men eh, not being, not 
keen to, to articulate their weaknesses and, and feelings and finding an arena to do that, although a very flawed arena, was something that I thought, that's an interesting conversation to, to have um, just now. So the audiences, it's interesting, you know, some people respond to the play and think, uh, the, the film rather than think. It's emotionally very violent. And some people find it, I hope they find it delicate and hard hitting, you know, because my job's to serve the material, you know, it's to create the characters, tell the story as, as best I can. And some people I know going out to the Q&As after, sometimes audiences sometimes need a, a minute or two to come back into the room. And, and for, for me, that's always pleasing. When a lot of people have told me after they see the film, it sort of stays with them for a while, you know? Like they're not ready for me to come on the screen and uh, on the stage, sorry, and uh, start doing some sort of stand-up Q&A, <laughs> you know? Uh, I know that um, some people are blown away by it and don't want to really talk, and some people recoil at the violence. I, 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 the emotional violence, rather, you know? But I think the film's tender and accurate to the characters. I, I find it interesting in a way that we're sort of programmed and desensitized. We can watch lots of movies with guns, misogyny. You know, we can watch lots of explosions. We can watch lots of death. And we're desensitized to it. And we can find enjoyment in that as a culture. But actually, if we talk about something that lots of people experience, the inability to express their emotions and the damage that can have the shame and damage through, you know, generations of families. If we talk about that, people perhaps are not used to seeing it. So the response to it is often not what they're expecting a movie to deal with. So I hope audiences, when they see the film, can recognize something of the real world in it. And I think the movie, for me, has a hopeful ending. A man who's wrought terrible damage on his family and on himself, his failure as a parent, his failure as a son, as a man to articulate his needs, his wants, he finally stands up to the damage he's caused. And that's a good place to end the story, I think. So I hope audiences can see that there's a journey for the, the character there. And if we could, personally speaking, if I can face up to my own shortcomings and bad behavior, for me, that's good. Yeah. Difficult, but necessary. But I suppose it is, it's, that's the... The, the start. Yeah. I just, but that's the kind of good is like, you know, as something that holds a mirror up. And I think again, there's there's a lot that kind of feels very true in it. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see now how people react to it in cinemas. Definitely. Definitely. I hope so. I hope so. I think it's certainly a, a film for the cinema. Yeah. You know, because the colours and the score and the detail, I think. I think it's, every director says this, I'm sure. But I think it's a film for the cinema. That would be, that would be the place I'd want to watch that film. That's a, a very good place to end our lovely chats because it's hitting cinemas. 
you guys had a a, a kind of a, di- a disappointing kind of push backwards but actually i think october is nearly a better time to see them you know it's colder it's dark at night these <laughs> into a, a dark room a few glasses of wine in them beforehand it's a good time so when dublin's out of lockdown on the 10th of october then we'll be in to see it and i think it should be in soon as now so thank you so much for chatting with us thank you so much for having me brilliant